What's up, Stitches? Welcome to Episode 7 of Season 2 of So What? This episode is exciting. I mean, they're all exciting. But anyway, this episode is exciting not only because 7 is my favorite number, but also because we have an interview with a fabulous PhD student and gem of a human being, Thomas Cooper. The interview is all about the needlework of Mae Morris and other artists of the arts and crafts movement. Yay! Delight! I hope you're as excited as I am. I'm especially jazzed about this episode because while I really love Mae Morris and arts and crafts textiles in general, I've not done a huge amount of research about that time period. I've really done almost no research about that time period. So talking to Thomas was a great opportunity for me to learn much more about the arts and crafts style and its goals and influences. And hopefully you too will learn much more than you knew before listening to the podcast. Like I do every single episode, I gotta say that images of what we discuss, as well as links to Thomas's social media presence and publications and all that stuff, are on the So What social media pages at So What Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and on our website, SoWhatPodcast.com. You know it, you love it, but if you didn't know it, now you do. Okay. Thomas Cooper is a first-year PhD student in the History of Art Department at Cambridge University, where he's researching May Morris and arts and crafts textiles and designs. He did his BA and MA at the Courtauld Institute of Art. Not included in the edited version of this interview is our bonding over the Cambridge Art History Department and the fact that it turns out we know a bunch of the same people, which is cool and fun because we actually met over Twitter and I did not know Thomas before that. As you can see, the world of textile research is super small. What a fun time. And now back to today's podcast topic. Some of you are probably wondering, who is Mae Morris and what the heck is the arts and crafts movement? Well, I am here to provide important context before we get into the interview, so here we go. Mae Morris was a very important embroidery designer and artist who was the youngest daughter of William Morris. You likely know about William Morris's work, even if you don't know him by name. William Morris is probably the most celebrated designer of the 19th century. He designed wallpapers, textiles, carpets, tapestries, books, and a whole slew of other stuff. He founded Morris & Company, which you may or may not have heard of. His designs involve leaves and flowers and birds and fruit and other nature things. You have definitely seen Morris & Company designs around. They're still really popular as wallpaper and textiles and have even been turned into things like notebooks and clothing and soap dishes and a bunch of other home goods things, accessories, stuff. Mae Morris executed a lot of her dad's embroidery designs and also designed a lot of her own textiles, especially embroideries. William Morris and Mae Morris were part of the arts and crafts movement, which was an international design movement which was centered in Britain and which flourished between about 1880 and 1920. It was a movement that attempted to reform design and decoration. It reacted against a perceived decline in standards that came with an increasing use of machinery and factory production. Those involved in the arts and crafts movement were all about beautiful, fine workmanship. They did not want a division of labor, nor did they want a mechanized manufacture of objects. What they wanted, and what indeed did end up happening, was an increased appreciation for the decorative arts and the artists and craftsmen who made those goods. Basically, in short, this was all a reaction to the increased mechanization and factory work and labor that happened during the Victorian era. 
Also, a quick note before I begin, Thomas mentions Berlin woolwork as a style those in the arts and crafts movement were reacting against, so I wanted to briefly define Berlin woolwork for those who don't know about it. Berlin woolwork is a lot like what we'd call needlepoint today. It was really popular in Europe and the United States in the middle of the 19th century, and it involved using a single type of stitch, like cross or tent stitch, worked in wool threads on a canvas that had on it a printed design. The result is bright designs or images that look like they're pixelated. Does that help? I hope it helps. Now onwards, there's an interview to get to. Here it is. Hi, Thomas. Thank you so much for doing this today. I'm really excited. Thank you for having me. Of course, my pleasure. Like, seriously, I'm really excited about your work. I will start with the first question. How did you come to research May Morris and arts and crafts textiles? So during um, my master's degree at the Courtauld, my class and I did a trip to the Willie Morris Gallery and they had an exhibition um, there called May Morris Art and Life. And um, it was basically love at first sight. I just saw these textiles and hangings and just, yeah, I was instantly in love with them and got talking with my supervisor just then and there about the textiles and we had a really interesting chat um, about processes of making and ideas that can be thought about in relation to those processes and it just got me thinking and then I returned to the exhibition in January um, 2018 with a friend and thought more about it and that sort of sparked my decision to um, focus on May Morris and her embroidery practice. So then later that academic year, um, I did my dissertation on May Morris and her embroidery practice, which I looked at um, through a very specific angle of um, memory and embodied experience, which I assessed through scientific frames of reference. And that was owing to the fact that the master's programme was looking at Victorian art um, in relation to science. But I loved that dissertation and the writing and the research much and I realized there was lots more work that could be done on May Morris um, the, the research on her is in its infancy still so I mean the 2017 exhibition is the second exhibition that's ever been put on on May Morris the first was back in the 1980s and since then a few there's been an essay collection that came out in 2017 that accompanied the exhibition and a few other articles and short notices but there's still lots more to be done. That's wonderful. Thank you. And were you interested in textiles before coming across May Morris's work or was that like a whole new world for you? It was totally new. Um, it, it really surprised me when I was so struck by these, by her, by May Morris's um, embroideries in particular. I have always had an interest in materiality and, and what happens to something over time and in a space. Um, my undergrad dissertation was on a painting by the Scottish artist Robert Brough and uh, it's called Fantasy on Folly, it's in the Tate, in Britain that is, and it has this lovely um, ceramic budai figurine and then and the, the subject is of a woman looking at this figurine and she has this lovely velvet dress but the way the fabric behaves is really interesting and quite odd. So I think the, the interest in materiality and material conditions is something that I guess predates the interest in textiles. Can you tell me more about your PhD research and for so what listeners who are not super familiar with arts and crafts needlework, could you tell me a bit about 
that whole situation, could you give me an overview of arts and crafts needlework as well? Yeah, so the first half is um, on the research. So the PhD research is, I'm trying to focus specifically on May Morris's textiles. Um, it's, and initially I just wanted to do embroidery, but she continued various different types of textiles throughout her life because one of the aims of the research is to try and always break her up and shake her free of the way I view the scholarship on May Morris. And it's very much bound her to the life of her father, his legacy, his memory. And um, I'm trying to sort of broaden her up and think about May Morris in different contexts, um, in different clusters of networks of people um, to try and sort of formulate new comparisons and yeah, just expand the way we understand her and her work and her career. I, I have an idea, a slight idea to look more towards the 1920s and 30s and to look at communities of weavers um, around gospels. And so, yeah, it can't just be embroidery. It has to be uh, much more, a sort of a much larger overview of textiles. At the moment, that's where I'm going. I'm in the first year, so it's still like lots of reading, lots of ideas and questions. Um, but I'm definitely certain that a, a real guiding force behind the research is that it's object focused and object driven. Um, it, as I said, I'm very much interested in materiality and um, wanting to look at stitches and fabric and how something's made, but also how how the conditions of an object change over its life and how it's used. That's definitely sort of a, a key part of my method, I suppose, of the research, arts and crafts and needlework. It seems to sort of emerge from various things that happen in parallel that sort of slip over each other um, at the same time. So there's a, from about eight, the 1860s onwards, really, there's a reappraisal of um, needlework. Um, and an elevation of needlework. A lot more people are thinking about needlework as art and not just craft. And so there's a Gothic revival in the mid 19th century and lots of architects and designers are wanting to think about um, the church as an entire decorative scheme. And part of that decorative scheme includes embroideries. And so those architects and designers wanted to commission more embroideries to furnish those places. Following on from this uh, Gothic revival, there's also a, a surged interest in medievalism, um, and in particular, a opus anglicanum, which is a type of um, what, embroidery. Um, and that was it's quite highly revered um, by practitioners, including May Morris um, in the 19th century. And he and others were encouraging people to look back to opus anglicanum and think more about um, the style and the use of stitches and composition found in, in those examples. And then there's another important aspect of needlework is the reaction against Berlin wool work. It sort of fits into the larger picture of design reform in the second half of the 19th century. There was a prevailing view that Berlin wool work was quite sort of gaudy and overly naturalistic. So I'm asking this because I don't really know much about late 19th and early 20th century needlework in context. Like, I love it, I appreciate it, and I will cry over it when I see it, but I don't really know, I haven't done a lot of research on it, so this is why I want to ask, because I have a feeling that a lot of So What listeners are in a similar situation. And the question is, 
what was the impact of arts and crafts needlework and textile designs on needlework and textiles of the period more generally? Like, were there arts and crafts designs, motifs, colors, stitches even that kind of spread beyond just the small world of May Morris and William Morris and their sort of cohort and become something a bit more general and seen elsewhere? Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, a lot of the arts and crafts embroiderers, they overlapped a lot with the Glasgow School of Art. And in my view, they sort of prefigure um, the American embroidery, the modern embroidery movement in America. Um, in especially in attention to the quality of materials, um, understanding the limitations of the material, so what you can actually do with with cloth and with thread and silk and linen, and to try and yeah understand um, the effects that can be achieved and also the effects but versus the effects desired. May Morris writes in her, her handbook um, decorative needlework that she tries to discourage people from using stitches that are imitative. So she doesn't like, for example, um, lots of dense French knots to uh, show a, a sheep's fleet. She wants a much more simple and clean thing. Um, and that, I suppose, is part of a, a larger uh, shift. And this is and that occurs not just in, in needlework, but in, in the art of the period more broadly. And, and that's away from sort of heavy naturalization to um, heavy naturalism, pardon, to uh, conventionalizing nature much, much more. So reducing something down to its um, sort of uh, more bare forms and structures and to try and reveal the essence of nature. Um, so they don't want um, artwork to imitate it, but to sort of evoke it in a way. Uh, and so that's, I think, quite a lasting, a la a lasting aspect, perhaps. Uh, and then in terms of um, stitches, Again, May Morris writes about, she, she encourages her pupils to try and use fewer stitches. And um, she's very sort of uh, famous for her technique and um, the, the stitches are very clean. Um, and then in terms of color, uh, she encourages her students to choose very bright, bold colors and not to sort of look back to um, very highly esteemed historic needlework and to admire the faded colours and then to try and reproduce those faded colours because it has some sort of sense of um, status associated with it, but rather to choose sort of bright, bright and bold colours in a palette that's nonetheless sort of harmonious and balanced. And oh, one motif that May Morris loved was birds. Mm. There were loads of birds in her designs. And I don't know if that's something that forms part of a lasting legacy of arts and crafts needlework. Um, but it does, to my mind, sort of prompt us to think more about the, the pictorial and the decorative um, within needlework and you not just assume that all needlework is, is decorative and ornamental and just the vignettes and motifs, but it can actually be, be pictorial or it can present a narrative. Those are some ideas I'm wanting to explore in the piece. There are lots of, quite a good number of pieces by May Morris that um, resemble more of like a, a, a mural, as it were, or um, some sort of narrative sequence. That is so interesting. Thank you. I've always been curious about the lasting impact 
of people like William Morris. You know, you had the H&M William Morris collection of clothing and like you still have William and William Morris decorative soaps and things that you can get at gift stores and stuff. But there hasn't been a similar evergreen love of things by like May Morris and other arts and crafts embroiderers and artisans. And I'm curious what you think can be said about the lasting impact and like perpetual trendiness of mm-hmm. William and Morris, William Morris and company's textile designs. And like, why have the designs of May Morris and other arts and crafts embroiderers not maintained their popularity in comparison to William Morris's stuff? Yeah, I do think it's a slight problem. There's the designs are lovely and there's such a visual lasting appeal. Um, they're lovely and balanced, the colours are nice, and when they're set together, they just look gorgeous. But I, I do think there's a slight problem. Sometimes I think oh, William Morris was you know, turning in his grave, the fact that his design's being used, as you say, like a soap dish or a keyring or a mug, because a, a lot of the um that there are so many principles behind the application of the designs. May Morris in particular was a practitioner who argued for the designers to really think about the, the sort of intended function of an object and how the design is suitable for that purpose. Um, so it, when, when you see um, Willie Morris designs used on everything, it kind of muddies those distinctions and, and those ideas that are really quite central the period um, and another thing I think is that the designs just become washed down to a William Morris look and people fail to make the effort to distinguish who made who designed what and who made what and that's one of the reasons why we forget about May Morris or John Dull or Walter Crane and, and these other figures who were equally prolific in their designs and, and their productions but everything just becomes oh, a William Morris look and so we lazily forget um but then everyone loves it um I suppose it's become to my mind the William Morris look has become quite a um a social signifier along with like Emma Bridgewater ceramics and it, it's all part of this very wholesome middle-class scheme to present some sense of status <laughs> um but yeah it, it's I suppose that's just a personal gripe, but um, I, do, I do think that there are larger problems because it affects um, yeah, the way we think about the, the less well-known figures and then the attention we give to them and how we understand their work, yeah. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. Some places are making more of an effort to, to re-identify correctly um, certain wallpapers and certain designs. Um, I guess it's tricky as well, because art history likes single authors and arts and crafts needlework is inherently collaborative. There are, there are multiple authors, all of whom have an important stake in the making of the object. So what is your favorite needleworked object or objects? Tell me about something May Morris related or not. Hit me with whatever. So one of my absolute favourites is uh, embroidery that May Morris designed and that her mother, Jane Morris, embroidered. And it's called The Homestead and the Forest. And um, it's just lovely. It's so unique. Um, 
so it it's quite large it's designed as a bed cover um and it's in, it was intended it's understood to be a cropped quilt so for a child's bed and it was believed that was supposed to be for may's intended child um and so it in the center of the embroidery is a homestead so they have this little cottage and then orchards and the field um, and surrounding it is this lovely river um and it's full of fishes that sort of dance and jump in the water and you can see the current beautifully and then beyond it is a forest although there are only four trees so it's not really a forest but rather um a, a landscape and it's just filled with um animals and they're often well, most of them are quite sort of what we would regard as wild animals so there's a lioness and cubs and an elephant and giraffe and parrots but it's just utterly delightful and quite comical there's in the bottom left corner there's a like a tubby looking rabbit we just see his back and he looks quite sullen and then uh, a leopard is growling at a hedgehog um and a crocodile is emerging from the river but he seems to be smiling and it's just full of lots of these quite funny vignettes um and it's just so unusual because, as I said before, um, in May Morris's work, there are quite a few instances of, of what I think about pictorial embroidery. So it's a really nice example that ruptures sort of large um, perceptions of arts and crafts needlework as just being repeating pattern. And it's just visually engaging. And I love that it's designed for a child because we don't really think about children in the context of the arts and crafts movement. It's often written about as a, as a serious movement about ideals and of, uh, noble principles about the conditions of the workmen and the, and the making of the object. Um, and we sometimes forget that well, children would have been running through these arts and crafts homes and looking at the wallpapers and looking at these images and um, this embroidery is a nice reminder that children were there and that also objects were made for children in, and, and were made with, for the purpose of entertaining them. Um, and I, this object, in this homestead in the forest, has been read as a sort of educational tool because at the very edge of the embroidery are um, proverbs and mottos that sort of largely evoke fairness and kindness and hard work but they're in multiple languages so there's um one's in english but then um there's a motto latin one in italian and one in farsi um and i find that really interesting and it's something that no one's pointed out before that this is a cop this is this quilt is intended for a nursery age child um but then I expected to be literate in four languages um, and it, it's sort of it's an interesting relationship between the visual and the written um, and opens up nice questions about sort of legibility and um, knowledge that we in order to bring to an object um, so yeah that's one of my favorites I love that that's a really good object to pick we believe it's quite well treasured by Mae Morris. She kept it in her possession her entire life and she'd show it to people when they came to visit. Um, and yeah, it's lovely that it was a sort of cross-generational cross -generational, um, collaboration between them. Yeah. That's so cute. I love that. Thank you. That's a really, that was one of my favorite ever 
favorite objects on this show. So thank you. Oh, thank you. That's a really, that's a solid one because there's so much to look at and think about and you spoke about it so well and get it. Congratulations. What That was a treat. I'm going to ask the penultimate one, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's the question that I love to ask. It's the question people sometimes enjoy answering and sometimes hate answering, but it's the one that I, I feel like it just is like a really good tester to see where we're at in the world. I'm just rambling at this point, but I do really like the question about what the role of needlework is in today's society because I think it, it just tells us a lot about where we're at in the pandemic. It's a really important question right now. And I think it really um, makes us reconsider the relevance of the research that we do and like to think about why these textiles matter. Um, but yeah, definitely um, since the, the pandemic emerged that so many people have turned we've been locked indoors made unemployed or furloughed or ill or just bored um and we've turned to textiles and handmade objects as some form of um escape and distraction and 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 respite and they they, they provide so much satisfaction you you, you make something and it it gives you something to do, um, something to think about. It's re it's so relaxing. When I started res first researching embroidery, I didn't know anything about it, and I, I didn't. I was reading about different stitches. And I thought, what on earth is a stem stitch or a split stitch? Um, and I spent quite a lot of time just watching YouTube videos, um, in which uh, just um, amateurs at home are just showing people uh, filming what they're making. There is a, such a relaxing sound when a needle punches through taut fabric in a hoop and it pulls the thread through. Oh, it's lovely. There's so much relaxation that comes just in sounds, in, in feeling, um, and, and just sort of general satisfaction. I also think that um, textiles, and, and, and as they sit more largely in handmade and handcrafted objects, are good antidotes to things that seem to be lacking and disappearing from the modern world. Um, this is my old man emerging. Um, but I think today there's just an absence of effort and labour and slow working and practice and slow time. And there's so much value in those things because um, on social media, we, we flip through images and, and don't take anything in. Um, and it's insufficient in giving us value and satisfaction. Um, but I think textiles and the making of, especially the handmade making of textiles can, can provide satisfaction and value. Definitely. I think all the things you said are very true. Now I'm thinking about textile based ASMR, which is just, yes. I, I just want, I just want people poking taut fabric with needles in my ears all the time. And finally, the last question, how can people learn more about your work? Do you have anything you'd like to promote? Tell us about you on the internet or in print or anywhere else if you want to. So I have a Twitter account, but I'm not very um, active. Um, I, I just use it mostly for following um, events and things, but I'm, I'm trying to put more material out there. In terms of print, um, I had an article recently published in December of 2020, um, and that was a revised um, and extended version of my master's thesis on Maymorites' embroidery practice. Um, 
and, and memory and embodied experience. So um, that's available online. Um, if you want I'm going to find it. I'm going to link to it. That sounds great. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think that's, um, that's all, I, all I've got at the moment. Thomas, it has been such a treat and such a joy to interview you. I feel like we're friends now. So thank you so much. Me too, very much. Thank you so much, Isabella. It's been delightful. What a treat. Yay, interview. Yay, Thomas. And yay to Twitter for its ability to connect people. What a delight. And honestly, thank you and yay to you all for listening to So What. Thank you for being here. And please subscribe and rate and review and all that good stuff if you haven't already. It really helps me and the pod out. Now go out and stitch some stories and go look at the delightfully despondent rabbit on the homestead and the forest, the cot quilt Thomas chose as his favorite piece of needlework. Bye!